Welcome to the latest episode of our Business in Focus podcast. I'm Emily Kahn and I'm your host for this episode. Over recent months on this podcast, we've explored some of the biggest trends affecting businesses and actions needed to respond to the risks and opportunities they present. But it's been some time since we've spoken in detail about the topic that at one time dominated that conversation, Brexit. Far from over, the start of 2022 has brought with it the full effects of post-Brexit border controls, with customs declarations and checks on goods moving between the UK and the EU, now affecting businesses with international supply chains. With the window to prepare for this change now closed, we're starting to see how new policies and processes are working in practice. And the stakes are high. Getting it wrong can lead to goods being held at the border and, more broadly, put the brakes on plans for economic recovery and growth. Today, we'll be working through an essential rundown of the latest position, what this means for businesses and the practical steps we've been helping businesses to implement to avoid disruption to their supply chains. I'm joined by two PwC colleagues, both specialists in this area. Providing an EU perspective, we're joined by Jos Verstraten from PwC Netherlands and Matthew Clark will be offering his expertise from PwC UK. Welcome Jos, welcome Matt. How are you both today? Good, good. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Emily. Well, a very warm welcome from me, and I'm looking forward to getting into this this conversation. And perhaps we can start with with why this is all back in the news um, since the turn of the year. There's been a lot more noise about Brexit, customs, supply chains. And I think it's fair to say that some of us might have tuned that out um, since it was last so much top of the uh, news list, particularly in light of the pandemic. Why should we be tuning back in now? Matt, perhaps you can help our listeners cut through some of that noise and give us a bit of a summary on what's changed. Thanks, Emily. Well, it certainly feels like a long time ago now that Brexit happened, certainly for Yoss and I that are dealing with it day in, day out. But you have to remember, it's only been a year since this happened. So with the new border coming into force then, new customs declaration requirements, people had to pay duty and import that for the first time. It it was a really new thing and it's still very fresh on the agenda for many businesses. A lot of our clients had only ever traded before within the EU as well. So, you know, looking at customs declarations and understanding the data sets and things like that was really difficult for them. It was a big adjustment. So when you think about it, a year really isn't a long time to implement, uh, you know, a change of this scale, let alone really get used to it. So you asked what's really changed from the beginning of this year, so January 2022. Well, HMRC have ended the concession they provided on delayed customs declarations. So up until now, uh, importers were able to import goods from the EU into the UK and delay the actual submission of their customs declaration to HMRC by uh, you know 175 days, and that's no longer the case. So now when goods physically land in the UK, you have to have a customs declaration submitted to HMRC. And in reality, Emily, what that actually means is you need to be pre-lodging the declarations before your goods arrive at the border to avoid potential delays. We also know that in terms of those delayed declarations, there's got a lot of businesses have quite a backlog of those. So they've not kept up to speed and they're now looking back at all those historic imports and thinking, right, I need to submit these to HMRC. Uh, and, it, and that can be for the imports into the UK from the EU, 
But also there's a backlog in terms of movements going from Great Britain into Northern Ireland using that new TSS service. So the PwC Customs Broker Service has been helping an awful lot of clients reduce that backlog and improve the customs data issues that they've had and get those declarations into HMRC. So there's a fair few new processes to deal with for both import and export that need to be undertaken for goods that arrive in the UK and depart from the UK. As I said before, not undertaking this process in advance of your goods arriving at the border is what is causing the delays. And that's what people might have been seeing in the newspapers or hearing from colleagues or from suppliers or customers. So pre-lodging declarations and getting your data to your brokers early is the way to go with this. Clients are also still struggling with the three basic tenets of customs duty. So the classification, so what's the right 10 digit code? And, and they've been updated in January as well. So some codes have actually been novated into a new 10 digit numerical code. Struggling to understand origin and how that works on the UK EU free trade agreement and what value to use when importing their goods. So Brexit may have looked relatively straightforward on paper, but it's the practical issues that don't crop up until you actually physically move your goods across the new border. And that's what businesses are really struggling with now. It's also uh, worth mentioning uh, that uh, this is currently uh, all modeled on the existing uh, European legislative framework. So it, it essentially is a copy of, uh, well, let's say, the, the former legislation. And that, of course, uh, clearly wasn't the intent, uh, intent for Brexit or, or the planned, uh, planned direction of travel. Um, so businesses uh, need to remain tuned in uh, because this actually is just uh, the start. There's uh, still uh, still a lot to come. So this uh, this is definitely something to keep on your radar and and will remain on the radar for uh, the time to come. Well, thank you both. We've got right into the crux of it there, haven't we? And it, it really brings to life the way you're talking about it. That not only are we we in the throes of this change. And as you say, you're just then kind of at the beginning of, of a series of changes, but we're now starting to really work through the details of how that all works in practice. Um, I'd like to pick up on that in a bit more detail and start looking at some of the things that businesses are doing to take that kind of concept, as you say, that was might have worked on paper to actually make it work for them in in practice, you, you mentioned you mentioned data, you've mentioned processes, we've touched on policies. Can we give us some examples of that to bring it to life for our listeners? Let's think about the data. I mean, if, if people haven't seen a customs declaration before and they weren't really prepared for Brexit, there's over 40 different data points that goes into a customs declaration. And it's not just about getting the right data, it's how to interpret it. So you get the right data and you understand what that means. How do I turn the data I have into a 10 digit customs commodity code? How do I then get that right data set in real time to my customs broker? Because they're the people that submit the declarations on your behalf. So it's right data in the right hands at the right time to affect clearance. And that can be a real challenge, Emily. So we've had lots of clients realize that their data is wrong when goods have been stopped at the border. Um, and especially over the last couple of weeks since some of those numbers on the classification front have been updated. Um, so goods have actually been stopped when they're trying to get into the UK since the 1st of January. And also your goods might clear, but then post importation, you could get a letter from HMRC asking you to clarify some of the dates that you put onto that customs declaration as a post importation audit. So 
they're the things that that uh, businesses are often challenged with declarations now as i mentioned before need to be in advance you don't have this delayed declaration submission anymore so you've got to plan before your goods move and ideally before your supplier even begins their dispatch because of course Yoss and I always said one of the reasons we knew businesses were going to struggle with Brexit is if you're moving something on the high seas from, say, the Far East to the UK, you might have six weeks to prepare for it to land. If you have something come over from the Netherlands, Germany, Belgium or France into the UK, it could be less than a day before the goods are shipped from the supplier to arrive at your door. So you don't really have an awful lot of time to get this right. That's why that process that you mentioned is really important as well as to where is my data and how do I get it to my broker in the right time? Um, and one of the other key challenges that we see is how to value goods landing in the UK. So what value should I use if there's a series of transactions? Do I have to adjust my value for transfer pricing purposes? What do I do about royalties? And I know today we're not going to dig into the real detail, but there's an awful lot of things to think about across this new border. And the last one you said was policy. So how is policy developing? Well, if we take e-commerce, for example, the policy is really developing at pace because there's an awful lot of issues around. Is it a low value consignment? Is it a high value consignment? Do I don't I pay customs duty and VAT on that? How do I value it? Is it my retail price? Is it my own production price? All those things are feeding into this bubbling pot of policy on e-commerce that both the EU and UK customs authorities are having to deal with. And, and policy is genuinely coming out on a weekly basis as we go along. So it, it is all change and it's a moving landscape, which I always think is quite challenging for businesses to operate within. Um, Jos, just over to you. Have you got any comments on that? Yeah, the, it, I would like to 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 add some things to to that one. Um, uh, one of the other pillars you you mentioned uh, uh, is also origin, and of course, a lot of people had the idea that initially uh, products uh, coming from the UK uh, might have the opportunity to be imported free of duty in the Netherlands. I just saw a, a very recent report from Dutch Customs that only in the Netherlands, in the first eight months after Brexit, already 120 million euro of import duties has been collected. So that there might be some missed opportunity, if you like, uh, on that side as well. Um, and of course, uh, well, uh, altogether, there's a big catch-up challenge. Uh, down the road for uh, for the uk especially when you look ahead to uh, to the licensing uh, requirements which will hit uh, the food industry in particularly uh, hard with new uh, requirements coming in uh, in eastern summer uh, in particular um, and and well looking at it from from an eu and of course uh, uh, countries like the netherlands uh, have already had this from from day one um, so the the, the challenge is uh, is uh, is on one side of this uh, of this problem. It's fascinating listening to the two of you talk, and there are so many technical terms in here. You've talked about you know transfer pricing, origin, e-commerce. There's almost a new language of business in in managing the these interactions and transactions across the border. 
I'd like to pick up on a reference that, that you've both made a couple of times to brokers, and that feels like a, a kind of a role in the economy that we're hearing talked about more and more. Um, and we're hearing a lot about EU business struggling to getting their goods into the UK at the moment. Perhaps, Matt, can you can you bring that to life for us? What's kind of what's behind that struggle and, and where are brokers coming into that? Sure. So I, I think what a lot of the uh, news in the press is about Emily is that when you're selling goods across a border so for example you're an EU supplier and you've been historically selling quite happily to all your UK customers well post Brexit you have to be an exporter from the EU so I have to submit an export declaration so let's use uh, the Netherlands as an example I'm a Dutch supplier I put my export declaration into Dutch customs and I send my goods to the UK someone has to act as the importer on the uk side and a lot of those customers will say i just want to get the goods at my factory or my premises or my house i don't really want to be involved in any of this customs i don't want to be involved in the declaration i don't want to pay the duties just do everything sort it out for me you're my supplier um, and this is forcing the eu sellers suppliers into quite a difficult situation because you can import into the UK as a non-established importer, which means your business isn't physically based here. And you can do that. But in order to do so, your UK custom program has to be willing to act as something called an indirect representative. And that effectively means, Emily, that they jointly take on the liability for the compliant nature of your customs declaration and the tax that is paid to any customs duty and import VAT. Now, an awful lot of brokers in the UK are not willing to take the risk on to do that because they are jointly and severally liable for any tax payable. So it's been quite hard for some EU businesses to find brokers in the UK willing to act as an indirect rep to help them be a UK importer. So the PwC brokerage service, we do do that. And we've actually found quite a high number of our clients are EU businesses selling into the UK doing their own clearance and then making domestic sales to UK businesses. So it, it is quite a significant challenge uh, for certain EU businesses to do that. And I think, yes, it's 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 the same in the other direction, isn't it? So UK supplies sending things into Europe. So, you know, particularly into the Netherlands and trying to find an indirect rep to help them. We uh, we see indeed the exact same uh, same problem uh, at this side, uh, Matt. Uh, very uh, very correct. Uh, the only thing we don't have here is uh, uh, your uh, PwC SIS brokerage team. Um, so uh, for UK companies selling to the EU and being asked to take responsibility for customs clearance. Uh, my advice would be to try and hold off of that, and uh, well, that might be a good moment to uh, uh, to, to think about renegotiating your contracts with EU uh, EU customers. But uh, of course, also EU companies aren't really lined up uh, being very enthusiastic about uh, acting as an uh, as an importer um, so you still uh, may need to take the role uh, as an as an importer and sell your goods locally on the eu market 
Um, and what we what we see happening there is that a lot of companies are looking at setting up a local establishment. Uh, so an, an, an EU branch of a UK company or uh, even a, a, a daughter of a, uh, of a UK entity as a, as a local European entity. That's such a good example of the, the devil being in the detail, which I think we said at the beginning of kind of making these things work in practice um, and how how the economy responds to those challenges. And you see, as you say, new actors emerge or different strategies coming into play. Um, I'd like to put a question to the two of you that we very often ask in these discussions um, when when we're talking about disruption. Um, where we can look for opportunity. And I'm conscious we've we've talked about a lot of different and quite complex challenges. Where can we look to find the opportunities here? I think, Emily, uh, it's certainly early days with Brexit. You, you know, an awful lot of businesses are just trying to keep their goods moving, but they're looking to optimise, aren't they, uh, for the future? So looking further ahead, you know, the UK is trying to agree new free trade agreements. So from an export perspective, or from an import supply perspective, dealing with new territories. So that might open up places for you to source your goods from or sell your goods to uh, without a duty burden on the landed cost of those goods. So that will obviously generate an awful lot more business between the UK and those export markets or supply markets. And, and they're still in progress. Um, I, I think at the moment there's an awful lot of businesses looking to the future and it's really long-term plans on opportunities as mentioned before i think it, it's really just keeping goods moving at the moment and businesses are slowly starting to move into optimizing their supply chains for the future i would say uh, um, uh, all these uh, these fta's uh, etc uh, definitely something uh, with uh, with a lot of potential on the long term uh, but let's let's not forget that the EU still represents uh, the largest and closest market uh, to uh, to the UK. So uh, getting these border things uh, sorted, uh, whilst it might be painful initially, is still going to give access to that big market opportunity. That feels like a lovely way for us to bring what's been a fascinating conversation towards a bit of a close. We're almost out of time here today. So I like to end these conversations with something really actionable. And I, I like your, your kind of your call to action there that it's it's still worth persisting. It's worth getting this stuff sorted to, to access that big market opportunity in the EU. Um, can you give us kind of one, one or two tips, each of you, that um, listeners could be thinking about as they approach that challenge and uh, yes i'm going to come to you first this time if i may what would your tips be yeah thanks uh, thanks emily well uh, look, looking back i would say it it's been uh, uh, an, uh, a long period uh, and and well I tend to say nine or even longer months of troubleshooting actually um, um shouldn't be shouldn't have been that long but it was extended uh, by the pandemic uh, but planning is now uh, really coming in, uh, coming into scope. And I mentioned it earlier in uh, in the example uh, regarding origin, for example, that still an awful lot of money is being paid upon import of UK products uh, into the Netherlands only. So that that must be way more when considering also the other member states. Um, so uh, there is uh, clearly uh, an opportunity for planning. 
looking at, uh, at at the details of transactions um, uh, like the origin, but I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, Matt will have uh, way more practical uh, practical things to uh, to consider at this moment, uh, Matt. I, I, th I think we're right, and, and Jos and I are always on the same page with these things, which is, look, the first thing you need to do is just get the basics right. And the basics are that you have the right data that's accurate and you get it in the right hands at the right time to affect your customs clearances. And that will keep your goods moving. Once you're able to do that, as Jos has said, and that kind of troubleshooting firefighting stage is over, then you start to look to ways to optimise your, your, your process and your costs. And that might be use of tools or technology to help. Uh, you know, for some businesses, they have had to restructure, Emily, their supply chain or renegotiate their contracts, as Yossa said, to make it more tax efficient for them. So there's lots of different ways to look into that. But for me, it's always, you know, learn to walk before you run, keep your goods moving first. And then this is the year to truly start to examine your supply chains and start to optimize them. Fab. Thank you very much. That seems like a really good point for us to end things today. Thank you both for sharing your insight and your passion for customs um, and helping us join the dots between those big ideas in Brexit and how we deliver the results in reality. Some great areas of focus for our listeners there to end on. And thank you listeners for joining us. If you'd like to find out more about how to stay ahead of the changing customs environment, then have a look for Customs Broker Service on our pwc.co.uk website. And please don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date with all our latest episodes. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.